Welcome to PodClast with Lara Axtell, an educator with 26 years of experience ranging from special education to administration. In each episode of PodClast, Lara explores a current educational topic from a variety of perspectives to identify practical solutions to help improve the future of education. PodClast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. Visit ReadingHorizons.com to learn more. And now, PodClass, with your host, Laura Axtell. Hello, and welcome to PodClass. I'm Laura Axtell, your host, and I'm excited to introduce you to the guests who are joining us today. This episode is the second in a two-part series on what some would argue is one of the most important topics in education, adequately preparing educators to teach reading. If you are joining us for the first time, I would invite you to listen to PodClast Part 1 to get the context for today's conversations and really valuable information from two experts about this topic. Most episodes of PodClast will start with a parent, student, or teacher talking about their own experience. Sometimes in the midst of all the noise in education, we don't have the opportunity to listen to how they are impacted. We started episode one by listening to an educator with over 40 years of teaching experience who talked about how unprepared she felt to intervene when her young students were struggling decades ago. Today, we're going to hear a different perspective from a mom who's also a much more recent graduate with an undergraduate degree in elementary education. She will share her story and what happened when her own child had reading difficulties. It's a story worth listening to. My name's Lindsay. I live in Utah, and I graduated from a university that is well-accredited for elementary education, and that's what I got my degree in. I got a Bachelor's of Science in Elementary Education, and my specific endorsement was first grade through eighth grade. So the classes that I remember taking and that I kept books for and files on to teach children how to read was children's literacy. And the only interaction I had with real students is we would observe through a one-way window, the early elementary pre-K type kids. And there were teachers in there teaching them to learn to read and sounds and basic things. But we just watched and would take notes and had to spend so many hours doing that. We didn't actually get to interact or help teach or put to use anything that we had been taught. And most everything in that class that we were taught was to do with different genres and exposing kids to literature and comprehension. It was all higher level, like once they can read kind of thing. And I couldn't find anything besides a page of about 50 different websites about teaching children to actually read. So this didn't become a big problem for me until I had my own children. And when I got to my second oldest child, things completely fell apart. I noticed in the very beginning, he was a late speaker. So when he was two years old, the benchmark that your pediatrician gives you is they should have two-word sentences. And he barely had a vocabulary of maybe 15 words, period. And even those words weren't pronounced very well. He was deleting sounds or substituting sounds, or it was more babbling than actual speech. And so we intervened before he was three years old. I got him in speech pathology through our local district, and we started doing a mom-and-me talking time with some licensed speech pathologists. And that was the first time after two full years in speech pathology that he started to interact with other kids outside our family, cousins and siblings and such, because he was so embarrassed, even at a tiny age, that he couldn't speak very well and that people couldn't understand him. 
So I didn't pick up in kindergarten that he wasn't learning to read because he was smart enough and he had the skills enough and the intelligence enough to memorize if he heard a book read to him once. And I would do that as a skill. I'd read it to him once and then let them read it back to me when I was teaching my kids to read and he could memorize it and tell it back well enough that if he missed a word or two, I just thought, oh, he's missing a word or two. But it wasn't until first grade that I really realized that something was off. I would spend time reading with him and he couldn't follow the lines. Once it was more than one line on a page, he would skip lines or he would skip words. He couldn't keep his place. And I was probably the meanest mom because I felt like he just wasn't trying hard enough or focusing hard enough to follow along. He could not do it. And I would get so frustrated with him and I try and be loving. I was trying to not make reading be a punishment, but to be this this positive experience. And then he could never, ever, ever get down sight words. Words that just don't have a concrete picture to go with them, like apple, he could not keep in his head. So they, the, those, these, words like that, he would always substitute with another one. He could get something about, but he could never get the right word. And this was becoming more and more pronounced and more and more worrisome for me. And by second grade, I knew he needed help more than what I could offer him. And so I started looking everywhere for something more. I was talking to teachers. I was trying to get help from the school, from the principal. I was looking online. I put him in a reading camp, and they would always tell me how amazing his comprehension was, but that he just wasn't getting the basics. But then they didn't have any tools for me to tell me what the basics were. And I just felt like everyone knew what the problem was, that he just needed the basics and the rules, but no one could tell me what those were. And I was scrambling to find anything I could because I couldn't remember being taught what the basics were. I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know why sometimes C made the cuss sound and sometimes it made S's sound. And I was trying to figure out where we were supposed to be taught all these or when I learned them or where I could find them. So we bought into this extremely expensive program that we found online. And it was what a bunch of other schools have bought into for struggling readers. And it was supposed to help pattern the brain and help with memory. And they claimed to help dyslexic students, which I was feeling like he was dyslexic at this point in time. And so it was actually $2,000 for every three months. And so we paid for six months of it. And he did 45 minutes a day. And I don't think it was hurtful for him, but we didn't see any improvement in his reading in those six months. And it was too expensive to just keep going on doing that if we weren't seeing improvement. So I started looking again for something else. He, at that point, had been pulled out of class and put into resource. And we weren't getting anywhere there. And I know that classes are overcrowded. and There's not funding to do all that they want to do. But he was just falling further and further behind in school. And school is so language-based. So even though his primary struggle was with his reading, spelling, and writing, he was missing and falling behind in everything else, like his math and his science, because it's language-based. He couldn't read the, pro- the problem and understand it enough to do it. But if I read him the problem, he knew exactly what to do. It was such a struggle and so heartbreaking as a mother to see that he was starting to fall behind and hate everything about life and not associate with friends and be terrified to go to school and be sick about it. Because if he was asked to read, he didn't want to sound like an idiot or like he couldn't do it or like he didn't measure up. And he even had a couple teachers who just treated him like, you know what, it's not going to get better than this. You know, he just struggles. And they didn't believe in him. And kids pick up on those cues. And it was it was awful as a parent. <laughs> Lindsay, do you think it's possible that the teachers weren't giving up on him, but that they just didn't know what to do? 
oh, completely, because they don't have the resources out there to even know what to do or what to try. Do you think that the teachers maybe are in the same situation that you described earlier um, with your own experience, that when they see kids struggling and they go to what they learned, they realize that they just don't have the knowledge base and experience? Completely. Completely. These are these are all great teachers. I feel like we come from a really great school, really great teachers, teachers who want to teach, teachers who are, the, who are there not because they have to be, but because they feel like they make a difference. But you're scrambling. You don't know how to help them. You don't know what more to do because all the things you've been told to try aren't seeming to make a difference. Unfortunately, Lindsay's experience is not uncommon. With so many struggling readers, is there any good news? Are there solutions for improving outcomes? Today's episode is focused on those solutions. We'll hear from the two experts in this field from Part 1, as well as a school administrator and an education advocate, about their ideas for providing teachers with the knowledge and support they need to address this issue. First, we'd like to welcome back Rob Rickenbrode, the Senior Managing Director for Teacher Preparation Studies at the National Council on Teacher Quality, for Part 2 of his interview. Thanks for joining us again, Mr. Rickenbrode. Thank you for having me. We discussed on the last episode a document by the National Council from 2016. This report, A Closer Look at Reading, published evaluations of 820 undergraduate elementary programs across the country. You shared the specifics of that report in Part 1, and Lindsay just mentioned her lack of training that really supports much of what you've stated. Now I'd like to shift to some good news. The results of the 2016 report indicated that 228 teaching programs had improved their early reading instruction since your previous report in 2014. Is that encouraging in terms of a trend towards stronger teacher preparation for reading? We think it is. Those 228 programs not only improved in their coverage at at the program level, but when we analyze at the component level, So take programs out of it and look at the number of programs that are adequately covering each of the components over the same time period. The coverage of the components is all going up as well. There's still issues with phonemic awareness and fluency, but even those, about 39% of the programs are covering those, which is higher than uh, in, in earlier editions. So it is encouraging, but... The flip side of that is, you know, 39%, that means 61% aren't. Are policymakers and other educational organizations finding value in your reviews? Yes, I do think so. We have gotten lots of requests from school systems or districts or state-level agencies or folks in state agencies uh, to sort of summarize for them what we see in teacher preparation in in their state or region. Some folks are going to take direct action. One of the requests actually is from a district that focused on reading. They're not sure what they're going to do with that information yet, but they know that they have to do something. We have given input, uh, actually just in the last week, we've advised the state on a reading test for licensure. We were asked what the best reading licensure tests were out there, and we gave our opinion to someone who can, I think, affect change at the state level, so we'll sort of see what happens. So yes, I would say that the 
policymakers and, and other education agencies and some education advocacy groups have made and are making use of our data. But to be honest, we're, we're nowhere near where we want to be. Based on your work as an educator and as Managing Director of Teacher Preparation Strategies for the National Council, could you share your perspective on the greatest needs relating to teacher training and preparation for reading both at the undergraduate level and the graduate level? Good Textbooks Plus actually cover the science of reading in the lectures, give good final exams. Um, Just as an example, oftentimes in the courses we see there either is no final exam or the final exam is some kind of project or a report or it's uh, open notes or take-home exam. And the reading coursework is in this weird area for us and for teacher preparation in general because it's a combination of both knowledge and methods, right, where you are learning things that you, as an aspiring elementary teacher, learned nowhere else. Nowhere in your previous school experience have you learned how to teach somebody how to read? Like you learned history, you learned some science, you learned how to write, you learned some literature throughout your K-12 experience. You never learned how to teach somebody how to read. So that's the knowledge side. But entwined in that is how do you operationalize that in a classroom with 25 kids or a small group or a struggling reader or an English learner? So methods and knowledge in reading are are intimately uh, entwined. But you have to measure the knowledge component. You have to know that the future teachers know the underlying science of what they are actually doing in the classroom. So. Of course, we can make recommendations like that, but that, again, is sort of a class-by-class, faculty-by-faculty recommendation, and they're probably not going to take it because they don't know themselves what they don't know about the science of reading. So you have to teach those folks the science of reading first, and then I think the rest of it will fall into place. So now let's focus on solutions. Could you provide a few recommendations that you believe would significantly improve teacher preparation for reading instruction in higher education? What actionable items in training teachers could potentially increase student achievement in reading across the country? There are things that states can do, and we see this in a, in a number of states, not as many as we'd like, but the states can put into place as part of uh, licensing for elementary teachers an effective reading test, a test that measures the knowledge that I was just talking about. There are a couple of great ones in use around the country. The Foundations of Reading Test, which started in Massachusetts and is now in many states across the country. It's the foundation of the RECA test out in California, which is also an excellent reading test. I'm talking about a standalone reading test that measures whether or not prospective elementary teachers know what they need to know about reading before they get into the classroom. States can do that and make it a requirement for licensure. So there are a couple of key levers that I think folks could press on. But the real kernel, the real nugget is who the folks who are doing the training and teaching right now, what they know and working on that. Thank you for sharing such valuable information on teacher preparation and your solutions for improving this critical area in education. Thank you for having me, Laura. I thoroughly enjoyed this. We'll be right back. Podcast is sponsored by Reading Horizons. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com trial 
for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone. Mr. Rickenbrode mentioned that one solution might be to ensure that teachers have a greater understanding of reading science and instruction before entering the classroom by including a standalone reading assessment for teacher candidates that is already being required in some states for licensure. Could this be one piece of the solution puzzle? Let's hear from an advocate about this topic. Liz Barnes is a founding member of Decoding Dyslexia, a grassroots parent organization that started in her home state of New Jersey and now has chapters in all 50 states and three Canadian provinces. Liz, welcome to PodClast. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. So the parents in these chapters have had a great deal of success working with policymakers at the state and federal levels to pass legislation that would improve teacher training and provide more support to students with dyslexia. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And currently, New Jersey is considering legislation that impacts teacher certification. Could you explain the bill and why you and others think it's needed? Yes, I would be happy to explain this. Here in New Jersey, after several years with our other dyslexia-related laws in place, we felt the time was right to address another piece of the puzzle. We kept hearing from teachers over these years during events and emails that we've received that they don't know how to teach kids with reading. They didn't learn it in college. They would just say, why didn't I learn this? Had one teacher tell us after years of being a teacher, she felt like she was doing educational malpractice once she learned how to teach kids in reading. So from that, we found legislative support to sponsor a bill to address teacher certification. This bill would require candidates for a preschool through third grade endorsement, an elementary school endorsement, or a reading special endorsement to pass a written test to show that they know how to teach reading, that they understand the science of reading and the essential components of reading, such as phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension, among many other things. This written test will also be in addition to what other requirements the State Department of Ed requires for these endorsements. We felt this was really important because we need to break the cycle of how teachers are coming out and getting into our school districts. So if this bill is passed, do you think it will be a solution aimed at improving the training that teachers receive for working with young and struggling readers? Yes, we think so. If the bill passes, yes, it will be really good, and we're looking forward to that, but it can't be looked at in a vacuum. Without aligned student-teacher placements in classrooms using evidence-based practices, the college coursework won't have as much impact. It is a catch-22. Schools need to be set up to support new teachers in evidence-based practices, and universities need to be producing teachers with this knowledge. It all has to work in tandem. The districts still need to maintain strong professional development, but the colleges and universities need to change how they are educating our new and future teachers. This legislation is the next step in a series of legislative efforts that we've been doing in New Jersey. We first addressed the school environment, and now we are looking to tackle the teacher pipeline. We at Decoding Dyslexia recognize that we can't change our educational system overnight. 
So we had to peel back the layers and focus on core components on how struggling readers learn and what are the roadblocks we can change. In the end, it all has to work together in order to maintain our successes for the generations to come. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us today. You are very welcome. For more solutions, we would like to hear now from Dr. Emily Cantrell, a clinical assistant professor of reading and language arts education at Texas A&M. Dr. Cantrell has conducted extensive research on teacher preparation for reading, and you can hear her discussion of these studies in Episode 1. Today, she will share her insights on pre-service training. Dr. Cantrell, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me here. I'd like to ask you to provide the solutions that you believe, based on your experience and research, would improve education programs to better equip and support teachers and increase positive reading outcomes for children. Well, I think if we could do something similar to the model that the teacher educators had participated in in our study, it was a bi-yearly sort of consortium or professional development and teacher educators in reading throughout the state were invited to come once in the fall, once in the spring, and they brought in leading researchers from the field to come and speak about the latest research findings in the field of reading. They provided materials for how you can connect that into your teaching practice, and they also were just bringing teacher educators in the field of reading together to not only learn about new research, but then to talk about how they could put that into their instruction in the teacher preparation program. So I think something similar to that, you know, our research shows that can make a big difference, not only for the teacher educators, but for the, you know, future teachers. I think something like that can make a difference. And I think if that model could be utilized, I think we'd see a big difference. Well, I'm curious to know, and I think maybe other listeners might be as well, what was the response of the professors who went through that training about what they knew after participating in that model versus what they had been teaching before? I think that, you know, they would have a similar story to mine. Decades ago, we had a big whole language movement. And um, a lot of people, I think, got caught up in the whole language movement, which had some really great things like high quality literature and oral language development and deep comprehension and rich discussions and all that. And that all is wonderful and great and very important, but it's not enough to become a proficient reader. And so I think some people got caught up in that movement and so focused on those things that when the research came out and said, look, whole language by itself is not enough. You're going to have a lot of kids who are going to struggle to read if that's the only way you teach reading. Some missed that when that came out and said, you know, you've got to do more. You have to provide that explicit instruction in the code of the language. And so I think those who were caught up with the whole language movement, when they came to this forum, to this consortium, and had the opportunity to hear researchers speak about what research tells us that kids need to become good readers and then to talk to other teacher educators about how do you put this into your classroom? How do you equip pre-service teachers with this knowledge and how to turn it into practice? Then I think that was a better way to, you know, kind of shift their mindset a little bit rather than, you know, just being expected to go read a journal or attend a conference on your own and figure that out. 
But just in speaking and visiting with the participants, I think many of them would realize, you know, that I learned more about the latest findings in the field of reading and learning to read and struggling readers. And I know how important that is now. And I'm changing the way that I prepare teachers because of that. So those are the kinds of conversations that I would hear from the participants. So you work at a university in the education department. Um, Are you hopeful? I am hopeful. I think we're doing better. For instance, the International Dyslexia Association a few years ago came out with their knowledge and practice standards for teachers of reading. And as part of that, they began accrediting university or teacher preparation programs who were addressing all of those standards. And I was part of that review team and part of that process. And I think we're seeing more universities are making an effort to align their teacher preparation programs in reading with the most current research. As part of the review team, I noticed that it seems like more and more universities are trying to get on board with this. So I'm hopeful. But, you know, change is never easy. Change takes time. And so I think we still have a lot of progress to be made. Well, thank you so much. This review of both the research and the model has really been valuable, I think, to conversations about where this is going and what is possible for the future. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, uh, thank you for the invitation. And I I hope it was helpful. Thank you for providing publicity to this important topic. Our last conversation brings us all back to where it really counts, in the classroom. Earlier this year at the ASCD conference in Boston, I had the opportunity to sit down with Lisa Toole, a school administrator, and discuss her experience with the difference that adequate training for teachers actually makes for students and educators. Here's that conversation. We are here with Lisa Toole today, and I'm going to let Lisa introduce herself, and then we're going to get into a really important topic. So, Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. As you said, I'm Lisa Toole. I'm from the Adams County Ohio Valley School District in rural Ohio, and I've been in the business for about 23 years now. I've worn many hats and been awarded many opportunities. I started out as a fifth grade teacher. I've taught first grade second grade. I've been a title teacher, reading recovery teacher, literacy coordinator, an assistant principal, and now I'm a curriculum director. So obviously one of the key points is teacher preparation, the the teachers that are working with these students. So what do you see as the kind of the issue around that? And then we, of course, want to focus on solutions. You know, I think maybe uh, universities are still preparing teachers like they did 20, 25 years ago. Um, Maybe I'm overstating that. And if I am, I'll be the first to admit that I am. But um, I think that um, new teachers and pre-service programs, teacher prep programs need to be really working with teachers that are addressing the social, emotional and learning aspect, the whole child, and then really concentrating on how they're going to have to meet various needs regardless of, you know, if it's a class of 20, there's going to be a wide range or a wide spectrum of abilities within that classroom. You're going to have students who are already very digitally inclined and familiar with digital literacy or dual literacies, maybe already reading. And then you're going to have students that are short or low on vocabulary. 
So in terms of preparing teachers to come into a classroom ready to teach Mm -hmm. and able to do those things, has your experience been that they have that level of understanding about how to work through that transition? I would say not. My experience is that they have not had that opportunity. I think the undergraduate programs are concentrating on comprehension strategies and a lot of children literature and more exposure to types of literature versus how to take a non-reader, teaching them the phonemic awareness and the rules within that to become a reader so that they can decode words, harder words. I believe our universities are doing a really nice job with undergraduates with comprehension, inferencing, fluency, those types of things with students. But there is a major piece of decoding that needs to occur with phonics and phonemic awareness, that foundational piece. And as your teachers have experienced kind of the training around phonemic awareness and phonics that they maybe didn't get in university, what's been their experience and then the feedback to you? We have trained 100% of our K-3 teachers, including regular ed title teachers, which we would consider, you know, literacy specialists already in our district, and intervention specialists, teachers who are working with those students in Tier 2, Tier 3 of the RTI process. And the comments in the initial training within the first three hours of the training or where has this been? Why didn't I have this in my pre-service? Why didn't I have this in my student teacher prep program? This would have made a world of difference. And this is from teachers who have been teaching 20 plus years. I wish I would have had this from the very beginning. We did nothing like this. And then I'll have new hires trained prior to the school year once they're hired. And they're saying the same thing. They'll say, I didn't have any of this. We took a little phonics test, but if you didn't get it right, you got a second chance to do it and you until you got it right, until you learn. But this is this is incredible. I need this. This is going to give me tools for my toolkit. These are strategies I can use for a career for my lifetime in teaching. So I'm going to ask you to put on your, you know, king of the world hat. If you could change teacher prep programs, what are some things that you would ensure happen in terms of training before teachers enter the classroom? I definitely would advocate for pre-service teachers having the opportunity to complete a semester in phonics instruction and phonemic awareness. I think there is a lot of assumption on university studies that these students learn this and know the rules. But to be honest with you, the last time they probably had it was when they were in kindergarten and first grade. And from my experience, after training 100% of our teachers from year one or day one to teachers that have been teaching for 30 years, we were all over the place. It was a hodgepodge and a hit or miss of phonics instruction. And what we're seeing now is is that the strategies and the tasks and the activities that are going on in the K-3 classroom are specific. They're explicit. They're more wholesome and meaningful. And students are picking it up and they're demonstrating it. They're using it in their reading. They're using it in their writing. They're using it in their spelling. And for that... We are creating a more literate society. Thank you, Mrs. Toole, for taking time for this conversation. It's so important for us to hear from educators who spend every day thinking and talking about improving reading instruction and intervention. This ends today's episode of Podcast. 
but it's really only the beginning. One of the goals of PodClast is to provide information that is actionable and can make a difference in education. Each episode will provide the solutions proposed by our guests in a document that you can print or share. Go to readinghorizons.com forward slash podcast to access these solutions as well as links to research and other free resources about the topic. Thanks again for joining us. Now, let's go out and change the world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of PodClass. To be notified when future episodes are available, subscribe to PodClass on iTunes. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review. To submit discussion topics or to recommend a student, parent, educator, or expert to be interviewed on future episodes, please send an email to podcast at readinghorizons.com. PodClass is brought to you by Reading Horizons the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit ReadingHorizons.com to learn more.